Good morning. All right, guys. <clears throat> I'm just going to be real with you. I'm really nervous. I don't do this very often. And um, I did something I shouldn't have done. Can you hear me? Okay. Um, oh, this is what I was afraid would happen. My hair. Okay. Um, I listened to Brian Marcioni's sermon a couple days ago, and I called Sean and I said, I can't preach after Brian. <laughs> Brian, you're, you're anointed. But I know that God uses all of us, and so I just had to say it. I'm nervous, and I'm not experienced like some of these people. Um, so bear with me, but we're a family, right? And um, we, we bear with each other, and um, so... Actually, the reason that I am preaching it is purely coincidental that it um, fell on Mother's Day. I was really excited. Uh, God had put something on my heart that I was excited about, and it just it really so happened that this is the Sunday that it fell on was this Mother's Day. So I'm excited um, about <clears throat> talking about Joseph and just about what some of the implications are for our lives this morning. <clears throat> and... Um, so we'll, we'll start there. Um, I think Sean, obviously he introduced me, but for those of you that don't know me, um, I am Pastor Sean's wife and um, mother of five, actually. I have on my five children necklace um, that I'm really excited about that I don't wear very often. So I'm wearing it on Mother's Day to celebrate being a mom. So um, also you guys feel free to talk to me. I do really well with interaction. So let me know you're here. All right. Okay. Good. Diane, I can count on you, right? Okay. All right. So I'm not going to retell the whole story of Joseph um, because I think pretty much everybody in here knows the story of Joseph, and you've probably been listening and following along with our series. But I just want to say um, a little bit about the beginning of the story Joseph probably felt like he was a little bit in a yo-yo state because at first he felt favored by his dad, and then he was almost murdered, but he was thrown into, uh, he was sold as a slave, right? Then he became favored again, even in that place as a slave, and then suddenly he's thrown in prison because of his integrity, right? And then um, when he gets to prison, he's, he's um, raised up again. God has favor on him again. Um, and, and then um, he's, he's forgotten. You know, he interprets these dreams of the, of the baker and the cupbearer and thinks, oh, this is my chance, I'm going to get out, and he's forgotten for two more years. And then suddenly he's, he's raised up as second in command of Egypt, and I imagine he's thinking, okay, what's going to happen next? Like, surely something bad's going to happen. So we are here in... Genesis, I almost said in Joseph 45, in Genesis 45, um, and we are going to read, this is pretty long, so um, I'm not going to make you stand up, but we're going to read in Genesis 45, 1 through 15, and then 50, 15 through 22. And where we are in the story is um, Joseph has sent his brothers back and forth, and um, the thing is, we don't exactly know what Joseph is thinking, but we can, we can assume that he's, he's testing them and that he's, he's kind of he's 
he's wondering, are they, are they repentive of the way that they treated me? And, and how am I going to deal with them at this point? Like, um, Joseph realized that the fate of their lives held in his, you know, was in his hands and that he could destroy them if he wanted. He could, he could destroy the whole tribe of Israel or he could literally save their lives. And so for the final test, Joseph threatens to keep Benjamin as a slave. And here we are in the story in chapter 45, and we see Judah is begging Joseph not to keep Benjamin, but to take him instead. And I want you to listen to Joseph's response. I'm going to read this dramatically, all right? Because I feel like I almost thought, I thought I should have someone reenact this, but I didn't pull my, pull my act together. Um, so I'm going to read this with drama because this is pretty dramatic right, right here, what's happening. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence! So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that I heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph! Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. Amen. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine the emotion at that point? And then fast forward a little bit. Um, uh, Jacob, their father, passes away. And then suddenly the, the brothers are nervous again. And they think, oh, you know, maybe this has just been... A kind of a farce, and Joseph really doesn't mean it. And maybe, you know, maybe he's going to turn turn against us again. So they come back to him and they say, "When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him?' So they sent word to Joseph, saying, "Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you were to say to Joseph: I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly." Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. 
His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and kindly and spoke kindly to them. So I just want to focus mainly on this verse, 50, 20, and 45, 7. But this verse here says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So not only did God reconcile Joseph to his brothers, but he used Joseph to accomplish a bigger plan in saving the Hebrew people from starvation. Joseph had just come to fully grasp this truth. But I imagine that between the ages of 17, when he was first sold, and 39, now where he is speaking to his brothers, that he struggled to make sense of it all. And though he may have struggled, and I'm sure he struggled, I believe that Joseph came to see his life through the lens of God's character. And through that lens is how he was able to reconcile his suffering and bring about the forgiveness and blessing to his family. Let me say that again. I believe that Joseph saw his life through the lens of God's character. And through that lens, he was able to reconcile his suffering and bring about the forgiveness and blessing to his family. And that's what I want to just talk, to about, talk about today is just um, how, do we, how do we reconcile these painful places, these disappointments, these unexpected things that happen to us um, how do we reconcile them as being um, a place where we can forgive or as a place where we can come out of anger? Or how can we reconcile it and say, God is good? And so I just want to talk about that a little bit today and to talk about that lens that we see our lives through and the lens that Joseph must have seen God, and see our lives and through, see God's character through. And... Um, tell you just a a funny story talking about lenses. Um, I normally wear contacts. You probably are thinking, like, normally I don't see you with your glasses. Um, But I normally wear contact lenses, and um, I have worn them since I was 12 years old. And I've never really had any problems. And, um, but a few years ago, I started, like, kind of walking around the house and kind of, like, doing this thing. And I'd be like, Sean, I can't see very well. There's something weird going on with my eyes. I'm not really sure what's going on. And <clears throat> I like went, went around for weeks just kind of like, what's happening? Am I, am I losing my vision? Um, and so one day I took out my contacts and I just kind of looked around. And I thought, oh, I, could, I can see pretty good still. Or I, now I can see pretty good. And so I, I looked in the mirror and lo and behold, I had another contact in my eye. So the rumor in my house goes, mom had three contacts in her eye, in one eye. Um, I don't know if that's really true, but I at least had two, one on top of the other. Um, And so I'm glad I didn't end up going to the eye doctor and him being like, "Uh, ma'am, you have like several contacts in your eye. Why do you, you know, I had just like, I I thought that I had taken them out and then I just put another one in there. So 
Um, it's a little bit of an embarrassing story, but my point is, is that sometimes we don't see things correctly, and God wants to come in and correct our vision so that we can interpret our lives correctly through Him and through the, through the lens of who God is. Um, and in order for us to reconcile our pain and suffering, and in order for us to get to the other side, we have to embrace God's character in our hearts and minds. Um, you know, we, we all have a lens that we look through, and, all, and everybody has a different lens, you know. Um, in fact, um, I have started doing some coaching this year, and one of the things that I love to do with people is to um, help them understand their lens. And, um, you know, what, our, our lens is how we make, when we have a lens, it's how we make decisions, it's our how we make judgments, it's the reasons that we get angry or disappointed. And so what I love to do is ask people questions and for them to go, huh, oh, that's why I do that. And um, one of the things I say is, tell me what you're saying to yourself when you do this. So maybe a question would be, what are you saying to yourself when you're trying to get yourself up out of bed in the morning? Let people think about it. Okay, all right, this is what I'm saying, you know. And so I want to reflect on Joseph for a minute, and I want to take you back, and let's look at what maybe Joseph was telling himself all through his struggles. Because I think that he didn't just get to the place of, like, well, this was all God. And I think that he struggled back and forth of, like, what is happening, and why is this happening? And I think that we have to realize that um, we also have a lens that we bring to interpret our pain. So what was Joseph's lens? Well, we don't know everything about Joseph, but there are some safe assumptions that we can realize that Joseph might have been thinking. Um, at this point, there was not a written history for the, the people of Israel, but they are known for their oral history, and they pass down very detailed um, oral history through the generations. So we have to know that Joseph had a lot of these stories about his great-great-grandfather Abraham, and so on and so on. And though even, even though, as Brian talked about last week, Joseph's family was a mess, even though they were a mess, they had undeniably experienced the favor and the presence of God. So let's just talk about what are the message that Joseph, messages that Joseph might have had playing in his mind. So let's remember that Joseph's great-great-grandfather was Abraham, okay? Abraham was promised to be the father of a great nation and that God would bless him and he would bless the earth through him. So I think that Joseph thought his message was, God has a good plan for my family. He's thinking this. This is what God said about my great-great-grandfather. And then Joseph would have known that God provided Isaac when Abraham and Isaac, I mean, when Abraham and Sarah were old, and God provided him as an old man. And he would have known that Isaac was the fulfillment of God's promise, and that God saved Isaac from being sacrificed and provided a ram instead. And he would have thought to himself, God will provide, and God is faithful. Joseph would have known that his father Jacob had his own dream in which God showed him that he would be a great nation, that Jacob had wrestled with God at Peniel and his life had been spared. He would have seen 
God's character demonstrated through Jacob's brother Esau when Esau forgave Jacob. And, and Joseph would have had the message, God is the one who saves and God is the one who forgives. And then we, we actually hear Joseph say a few things so we can, we can know that he has these thoughts because he said to the cupbearer and to the baker and to Pharaoh, when they asked him to interpret their dreams, he says, I'm not the interpreter. Do not all interpretations belong to God? And then he would have, he would have also um, understood that God is the one who, who judges. When, when, he, when his brothers were afraid of him and he said, am I God that I could punish you? So he, he realized God is the one who controls the future. God is my judge and God is the one who punishes. And finally, in the statement that trumps all, Joseph reveals that he understands that God is good, even in the midst of his suffering when he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. Finally, it is obvious that Joseph has fully embraced God's character as a good God and that his goodness and his plan has trumped the suffering that Joseph had to endure for so many years. You see, Joseph didn't just stand there in front of his brothers and say, I forgive you. I know you're sorry. I forgive you. Like, I think about how we do with our kids, and, you know, we, we like, at least we do this with our kids. We say, say you're sorry. Say I forgive you, you know. Um, and it's pretty, you know, surfacey. But, but, but Joseph, of course he couldn't do that. You know, he had struggled for years, and he had to come to the other side of reconciling the suffering, and being able to say, in the midst of this suffering, God was good. In fact, God, God used it all for his good. And, um, and I think, I think he, he was able to make sense of it at that point. And for us, we have to do that too. We don't just say, well, God is good all the time, you know. Um, well, sometimes we do but we don't always mean it, right? Um, so how, how can we deal with the offenses and disappointments that will inevitably come our way? And what is our lens? Um, I'm going to just tell a, a sweet story um, of a friend of ours um, who has dealt with significant disappointment and trial over her life. Her name is Pam. And um, Sean and I met her when we lived in Waco, and we first met Pam in 1992. Pam is in a wheelchair. And um, Pam just texted me a couple days ago and said, I'm entering my 50th year as a paralyzed woman. And it's my jubilee year, and she's rejoicing in it. And I thought, how did Pam get to the other side of this? Pam was in a diving accident at 18. She lost, immediately, she lost the use of her legs. She is now, she has used her shoulders so much that her shoulders are giving out. So she's, she's losing the use of her shoulders, and she's, you know, about 67 years old. She lost her husband to a divorce, and she has had hardships in her family. But Pam has always been full of joy and full of the Lord's goodness. And, I, I, and, and, and on top of the, all of these things that I told you, she has continued to believe for healing, and she has not lost hope. She even had a surgery, which they were sure she would be healed. And, 
Um, I, can, I can just imagine that Pam has um, been up and down and like, God, you know, help me. Um, what are you doing? But I said, Pam, how? How did you reconcile? Like, how have you reconciled God's goodness in your heart in the midst of this, knowing that you may never be healed? And she said, well, it's pretty simple. She said, when I had my accident, a nurse came to me, and she shared this verse with me. And Pam was not walking with the Lord when she had her accident. Um, and so even, even greater that she didn't necessarily have, uh, have the demonstration of God's goodness in her life. But she said, this, this nurse shared with me from Romans 8, 28, and she said, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And, and Pam said, I believed her. I believed her. And I've always said to myself, Lord, you are working out your plan in me for my good, for my good, and for your good. And, you know, I know that it wasn't that simple for Pam, and I know that her journey has been one of... Uh, struggle and always having to go back to that place of, Lord, you are good and declaring these things. Um, and I want you to know that I am not even giving a one, two, three formula. I'm saying this is a journey. It's up and it's down. And I know for Joseph that it was up and it's down. But I also know that there is a place where we can get to the other side. And Joseph got to the other side. So how can we embrace God's good character and allow him to transform us? I, um, I wanted to uh, share a couple, a couple ways that I feel like Joseph must have done this um, and that I've seen other people, I myself, have been able to overcome in this way. And, and, and the way that I see it is that we have to come to an understanding of God's character. That's our lens. We have to see him, and we have to embrace it. But we have to embrace it in two ways. We have to embrace God's character in our mind and in our heart. You know, um, Joyce Meyer wrote a really uh, popular book, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, called Battlefield of the Mind. I know, Diane, that's probably one of your favorite books. Um, and the whole premise of her book is... Um, the battle starts in your mind, and what you believe is what you will feel and what you, how you will act. And um, there's a verse in Romans 12, 2 that talks about that. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This tells me that it actually matters what we think about. And there is a way of the world, and there is a way of God. And you know what is really interesting to me is I kind of, I kind of geek out with, um, like, learning about health and, and what, you know, what is science learning right now? And, um, you know, I, one thing that I tell Sean this all the time is these new discoveries that they're making in science it just confirms what the Bible has been saying for centuries. And the Bible's been saying um, 
basically, what you think about is what you'll, what you'll do. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And there's this, there's this term called neuroplasticity. And what neuroplasticity is basically, in a nutshell, is what you think about continually is what you will believe. And neuroplasticity says that your brain is actually able to be molded. And you can actually... Um, change what you're thinking if you continually to believe, continue to believe the same thing over and over. You actually build pathways in your brain called neuropathways. You can establish new pathways in your brain if you will believe the same thing over and over. But this is what, this is what the Bible's been telling us for centuries. We, um, another, another um, way to say it is to meditate on God's word. We can meditate on scripture and God's truth. Uh, Sometimes my kids will say, mom, why do you read your Bible all the time? And I say, well, because I actually forget what it says. And I have to remind myself, and I don't know how many times I have read a scripture and thought, well, that's really good. Like, or heard a scripture, like, that's really good. Like, I need that. Like, does the Bible really say that? Like, oh, I need to hear that. That's really good. Um, so many scriptures on, medit- on meditating on God's word, but Psalm 48, 9, oh God, we meditate on your unfailing love as we worship in your temple. Another verse that comes to mind in Philippians is, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever, I'm singing it in my mind. Um, I'm going to get one of the words wrong. But think about those things. Think about those things. And um, actually, I was just going to say, just throw out some real practical tools for thinking about those things. Um, My husband is the bomb when it comes to scripture memorization. You guys don't know this because he's not going to brag on himself. But he has this cool app called Bible Memory. And he um, memorizes scriptures through that app. And it's really great because he memorizes new ones, but he also reviews old ones. And I see him all the time typing in his scripture memory. And, and it comes out when he's praying for people. It comes out when we're having conversations. He is surrounding himself with God's words. And he is immersing himself in who God is. And um, another, another thing that our family's done for you parents, actually we should all do this, is scripture songs. And to be honest, that's the way I have memorized most of my scripture, is from song. Um, you, whatever is true, whatever is love, noble, whatever is right, whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about those things. <clears throat> so... Um, So we have these ways of um, understanding God's character through meditating on his word. And, um, you know, another tool as we are talking about the the word of God um, that I really love, it's so simple, and you can do it by yourself or you can do it with people, is this, this this technique called discovery Bible study. And discovery Bible study is where you ask three questions after you read a scripture, a passage, or whatever, and you say, what did I discover about God in this passage? Basically, who is God and what is his character? 
What do I discover about man? And what is God speaking to me in this passage? And I love that because it helps us to practically apply God's character in our lives. Another way that we can know and understand God's character is to surround ourselves with those who reflect um, God's character. This is our community. This is us. I'm talking about us. It doesn't always look like this service, but it can look like a couple of friends. I have a few friends that are always texting each other encouragements, like, ah, I'm, I'm really struggling, guys. Can you help me here? Um, and somebody will send back a prayer or an encouragement with Scripture. We need each other. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us neg- not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another. We need each other to help us in our way of thinking. Um, because we can get off. We really can. If we, if we just, um, you know, one of the things that was the hardest for, about COVID was that we were kind of all stuck in our heads and stuck in our houses, and we didn't have the interaction of other people speaking truth and the truth of God with each other. So we need each other to hear the truth of God. So we have embracing the character of God in our minds, but what's the other place? The other place is in our hearts. And when I say that, I'm talking about a little more on the emotional side. And, you know, I think going from our head to our heart is really a step of faith. It really is. Because usually when we feel it emotionally, that's, that's painful. Because when we, when we um, have experienced pain and we are needing to not just believe God's truth in our mind, but in our heart. We have to acknowledge that that pain really happened. And that is called, potentially that's called grieving. And I just don't want to um, forget to really mention that, the, that grieving is a really important part of understanding God's character and this whole journey of healing One of, the, um, one of the people that came to mind when I was, when I was thinking about um, integrating our hearts into understanding God's character is my son-in-law. And um, this is my, my daughter Molly's husband. And he is a wonderful man who um, married our daughter. And the first Sunday that we didn't know him very well at all. And the first Sunday that he came to our church, he, he sat on the front row. He's a very smart, very smart man, um, just has a lot of head knowledge. And so when he did what I'm about to tell you that he did, I was really surprised because I thought, this is just like a real um, thinker type, you know? Um, but he's, he stood on the front row with his arms raised, and he just cried out to the Lord. And I was like, Wow. And the more I've understood his story, he, he comes from a, a certain brokenness in his life um, of, of alcohol addiction. And he would, he would say this, um, God has freed him from this. And he has gotten to the other side of hope because of God's love for him and God's path for him and his character. And so he is able to fully 
express and feel God's love in his heart. And I believe that Joseph, um, when, when Joseph actually spoke those words to his brothers, I feel like that was the culmination of him embracing God in it, God's character in his heart. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And then it says Joseph wept. And it says he kissed his brothers and he wept over them. So when we embrace God's character in our lives, it should affect us emotionally. And we have to move it from our head to our heart. Recently, I was talking to a friend, and she was, she was sharing her struggle of depression with me, and it was a hard journey. And I said, well, you know what, where was the breakthrough for you? And she shared with me, she said, you know, I knew a lot of things in my head about God. I knew his love, and I knew he was good. But she said, I just didn't feel it. I had never taken it out of my head and into my heart and really owned it and believed it. But she said, at that point, it was hard because I had to deal with my past and I had to deal with those things that, um, which I'm going to talk about, that had skewed my vision of God. But she said, when I brought it to that emotional place, I began to see breakthrough. Sometimes we know God loves us, but can we shout it? Can we sing it? Can we receive it? Um, can we declare it? Uh, one of the um, things I want to point out about Joseph is that famous scripture, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. That was a declaration. That was a declaration. And sometimes we have to declare God's goodness out loud. Sometimes we have to use our bodies and we have to use our emotions for it to like sink and for us, for it to, uh, for us to really understand it and get to the other side of it. I love in scripture um, how David did that so well and he called us all to do it. We have so many Psalms where he says, rejoice, sing, dance, clap, weep, cry, shout. So I think, you know, um, actually in worship we were doing that, and I, and I loved that, Christopher. I hope we get to do that at the end here. Um, declaring the goodness of God changes us, and it changes those around us. Um, I just a, a recent story that Sean shared with me was that he met, um, he met some people that he'd never met before um, while he was on his trip to Texas. And they, they, they'd never met, and we didn't, we didn't know these people. And they said, you, <laughs> he said to Sean, you, you changed my life. And he said, what? He said, well, my wife and I started going to your church when we lived in Texas, and you and your wife led out on the worship team. And he says, the way that you guys worshiped God changed my life. And he says, what do you mean? He said, you guys, you, we could see it. We could see that you loved him. And we, the, the, the way that you declared the praises of God shaped us and affected us. And, and I mean, Sean and I were blown away like, wow, I mean, that's powerful. But 
the way that we all declare the goodness of God in our lives will affect each other. And the way that we declare God's goodness, sometimes in faith, will affect our own lives. The other thing that we have to do when we're, when we're working on God adjusting our lens is that we have to realize that we're gonna, we're gonna, um, our lens is going to be skewed. And what are those things that get in our way? And um, I talked about how I had that extra contact, you know, and so I had to take it out. And so there's, there's some ways that we view God's character that skew our vision. And I'm not going to go too deeply in that, but we should all realize that our past experiences affect how we see God. And we, are, we have to come to a place where we confront those lies when we see them. Like, okay, God, I thought you were like this because that's how my father treated me. But I realize that you are, you are different. You are a good and loving father. And I need to find healing from the past in dealing with my father or my mother or that teacher that, you know, abused me or these different things. Um, and, and, and one example that I had uh, about that is um, our friend Charlie Halley. How many of you guys remember Charlie? Charlie tells a wonderful story. It's really one of my favorite stories that Charlie tells. Um, Charlie tells about how his, his relationship with his own father was strained and, and difficult, and how um, he received a teaching one day on the Father heart of God, and he was still, he was still struggling, like, God, I know, I know that about you, but, but help me to understand your Father's heart. And he felt like God gave him just a beautiful vision of Charlie playing baseball with God the Father. And when he saw that picture in his mind, it broke him. And he realized, this is who God is. This is who God is. And I've had this vision, I've had this picture of who God is for my broken relationship. But God has showed me his goodness just through, through a vision. And there's so many ways that God wants to correct our vision. It might be through another godly influence in our lives. Um, there's just so many ways but it's, it's also through reading our scripture. And um, the, other, the other lies that come upon us are lies of our culture. And I'm telling you, the cultural lies are the hardest of all because they're, they're so, um, they're so uh, I don't know what the word is, deceptive. And it's hard to sometimes distinguish. It's like, is this, is this God or is this our culture? I, I'm having a hard time dis- discerning. And... Um, you know, one of the thoughts that I had as I was putting this together is uh, going back to meditating on who God is. As we know more of him, we will recognize him in our culture and we'll recognize what is not of God. And that reminded me of, um, I've heard that how they train people to recognize if a dollar bill is counterfeit or not. You guys have probably heard this. The way that they train people to recognize if a dollar bill is counterfeit is they teach them what the authentic dollar looks like. And they focus on that so that when they see the counterfeit, they understand this is, this is a fake. And so the better we know God's character, the better we will be able to discern what are the lies that are skewing the way that I see him. 
So as we surround ourselves with the truth, our thinking and our hearts will be transformed. But we have to know that our view of God is going to be challenged. As Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And lastly, being mindful that we are constantly having to um, check, check our lens, check our frame. Are we seeing God in the right way? And in 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says, We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I want to go back to my friend Pam. And I said, Pam, how do you stay in the place of not being bitter? You know, you may never be healed. How do you stay in that place of always um, interpreting life through the lens of God's goodness? And she said, she sent me her prayer that she says every day. And it is the taking of the captive every thought. I'm going to read that to you guys. She calls this her morning armor prayer. Thank you, Jesus, that I have the mind of Christ and I can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that I can strengthen myself with the truth of your word daily. Thank you that I can put on your gospel of peace and carry with me, carry it with me everywhere I go today. Thank you that, that I can take your spirit and devour every foe that's trying to devour the plans of God for my life. Thank you, Jesus, for the faith that I have been freely given by your mighty word today. Isn't that beautiful? So as we go back and we think about the pain and suffering that Joseph went through and how he eventually got to that place of saying, God is good and his plan is bigger. I just come back to us and I want to ask us again, how can we reconcile the pain and the suffering and the disappointments that come our way? And how can we embrace God's character in our hearts and minds? And I think he's given us a path to do this as we meditate on him, as we declare his goodness to each other, and so right now, what I want us to do is I just want to ask you a few questions um, as, we, as we transition to just a time of ministry. Is, um, I'm going to ask you a few questions. I want you to think about them for just a second. And then as you think about these things, um, I'm going to ask if anybody would like to receive prayer. Are there any areas of pain or suffering that you have yet to reconcile what are they? How might you seek, God's, seek to see God's character more clearly through your mind and your heart? Is there a place where you need to grieve? Or is there a place where you need to declare? And is there anything else that God might want you to do? Do you want to come up? Mm. 
I'm just going to um, have Sean lead us in a time of prayer. And then um, I'm going to ask if you, if you would like to receive prayer for um, any of those questions. Um, I'm going to have you just come down here to the front, and we're going to have a few people available to pray for you. I'm going to be available to pray. Um, and I think we've talked about a few other people that want to pray. So, um, Sean, go ahead. Yeah, I think that's great. So as the worship team comes forward, why don't we go ahead and stand up? And as we're worshiping, if you are in that place of responding to the questions that Laura just posed in regards to the place of reconciling your, your reality of your life, which might have pain and suffering in it with the character and the goodness of God, and you want ministry or prayer with that, or anything related to the trials that are going on in your life, let's take an opportunity to respond to the Lord. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you are alive and good and in our, in our world, in, in our worlds, in our lives today. And so, Lord, you're not distant or far off, but you're near. And, um, Lord, you have something for us. Just as Pam was praying every day, Lord, you have something of your revelation, you have your goodness, you have your encouragement for us today. So, Lord, as we enter into a time of worship and response, Lord, may you minister deeply as we open up our hearts and our lives to you in Jesus' name. Amen.